0: Hello, and welcome to the City Church Evansville podcast. My name is Sean Little. I'm the community and teaching pastor here at City, and we're so glad that you've joined us. I'm going to say a very common phrase that I bet you've heard. Whether or not you're a believer in Jesus, find yourself in a Christian community or connected to a local church. Here's that phrase. God is good. Such a declaration can bring about intense emotional response, both positive and negative. Many wonder about such a sentiment when there is obviously so much pain, suffering, brokenness, and evil in the human experience and in the world. Well, bring whatever response you have to that declaration and consider today's sermon by lead pastor Jeff Kincaid entitled, Goodness.
1: If you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like you to turn with me in it to Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 18. For those of you who are new or who are joining us uh, by our podcast, we're in a series of sermons on the subject of revival. We've called this series Catching Fire, and we've been examining from this passage in Exodus 33 the various stages of revival, the stages that are typical when God visits His people with revival. Now, one of, the, one of the changes that I have observed over the last 27 years that I've been in ministry is that people today are much more willing to talk openly about spirituality. When I first started in ministry, spiritu- uh, spirituality and conversations about spirituality were off limits. It wasn't fashionable to talk about. So starting a conversation about spirituality with someone that was excruciatingly difficult. But today, there seems to be great interest in spirituality. It's not uncommon at all to hear a celebrity or a or an athlete or someone like that speak publicly about his or her spirituality. But the kind of spirituality that people are willing to talk about today is very different than Christian spirituality. And I think there's a reason for that, And I think a writer by the name of Derek Beres, he writes for a number of different publications. I think he captures why Christian spirituality is no longer in vogue. He says, any form of spirituality taken to be the ultimate truth, whether communally or personally, breeds fanaticism and intolerance. You see what he's saying? He's saying that Christian spirituality is too monotheistic. It's too absolute. He's saying that the kind of spirituality that is preferred in our culture is more of a polytheistic spirituality. In other words, it's a kind of build-your-own-God spirituality. I create my own God that I worship. You create your own God that you worship, and we'll all be fine. Now, this isn't really a new idea. This This was also the religious philosophy of the ancient world. Every culture in the ancient world had their own gods. None were absolute. Each was limited in his dominion by the dominion of the other gods that the people in that culture had created. And in fact, this is the very religious philosophy that ancient Israel came out of as we find them here in Exodus chapter 33. In fact, you may remember that back in chapter 32, they had become impatient. The people of Israel had become impatient, waiting for their leader, Moses, who had gone up a mountain to meet with God. And in their impatience, the people had crafted for themselves their own God, a golden calf. And they said, this is the God who brought us out of Egypt. And they worshipped this God, and this so angered God, that He punished them for it, and over 3,000 people that day died. Now, why did it anger God so? The reason was, the reason that it made Him so angry, was that when God came down in fire and thunder on Mount Sinai, and He spoke His Ten Commandments to Moses back in Exodus chapter 20, the very first imperative that God had given these Formerly polytheistic people was, thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods. Before God ever says, don't kill, don't lie, don't steal, he says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now why? Why does he say that? Because he is saying, why does, this, why does that command come first? Before all of the other commands. The reason is that God is saying that the foundational problem of every human being, of every culture, of the city of Evansville, the foundational problem, what destroys people and families and governments, is the human tendency to worship other gods. God is saying to these people, your polytheistic spirituality will destroy you. If you continue to worship other gods before me, it will destroy you. Polytheism is what makes people violent individually and as a culture. It it is what makes people selfish and greedy. It creates enormous economic disparity. It creates racism. When you put other gods before me, it destroys families. It creates poverty and homelessness and segregation in your cities. Polytheism creates bitterness that divides people. In other words, the sin under every sin... In our culture, the problem under every problem in our world is our tendency as human beings to worship other gods. And this is why we started this series a number of weeks ago. Many of us have begun to recognize that the problems in the city of Evansville, like the rest of America, are more than just political or educational or economic problems. Our problems are spiritual problems. And any change must begin with the people of God in the churches in the city of Evansville. And we've seen in chapter 33 that the first stage of revival is always repentance. See, we must recognize that even in this room, many different gods serve as the integrating centers of our lives. We worship in this room many different gods. Now, ultimately... The one God that we are to worship is the God of Moses, but many of us in this room worship other gods, and we must identify what those gods are and repent. We confess and we repent of that, of worshiping false gods. The second stage of revival is always prayer, asking God to show other people in other churches the same thing, that their polytheism and idolatry is destroying them and this city as well. In chapter 33 so far, we've seen the people of Israel and their leader Moses do both of those things. But there's one final stage of revival. We talked about some last week. And in this Next to last week of this series, I want to pick up where we left off last week. and I'm going to ask you guys to do something a little unusual uh, for us, I think, but that in many Christian traditions is very normal. I'm going to ask you to stand as I read from this very remarkable passage of Scripture in Exodus chapter 33, beginning at verse 18. Would you stand as we read this passage? There is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. I'm going to read now from chapter 34. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet, He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. This is God's Word, and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. Now, I want to reemphasize again, as I did last week, just how big and bold this request of Moses is. And let me just explain it this way. In the very near future, Israel is going to begin to worship God at their tabernacle. And behind a set of veils and thick curtains, the glory presence of God is going to dwell, separated from the people. But Moses is asking for way more than that. Moses is saying, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to see you face to face. I want to look right into your glory. Show me your glory. I want to see your awesome beauty, and I want to see it face to face. But notice that in in verse 20, God says, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Now, for those of you who were with us last week, you may remember that we talked about the human need for glory. Glory, we saw, refers to weightiness, to significance. It refers to matter, to substance. And we all need that desperately. We need to know that we matter. We need to know that our existence uh, is substantive, not ethereal. That our presence here on the earth is significant, that that we matter to someone. But we said that our problem is that we tend to derive glory from other things that we have made into gods. Things like work and money and homes and belonging to the right social clubs, uh, power, these become the little g gods. These become the little g gods that we put before the big g god. We are polytheists by nature, we are idolaters by nature. But when we do that, when we practice polytheism, when we practice idolatry, as I said earlier, these little g gods destroy us, not only us, but on a much larger scale, they are the source of every problem that we experience as a nation. What we need, more than anything else, is to see God's glory, every one of us, to look into His face. This is what we need. And to see His love for us and to let that love impact us in such a way that His glory becomes our glory. That's what we need. But what God is saying to Moses here is that the one thing that we need the most to see His glory, that's the one thing that we can't have. Because if we were to see God's glory, he says, we couldn't live. Now why? Why could we not live if we were to see God's glory in all of its fullness? Well, I want you to to do just a little exercise for me here, if you would. And I want you to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. Some of you are way ahead of me. You closed them 10 minutes ago. That's That's not... the kind of closing your eyes I'm talking about. Um, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think of something, or perhaps someone, or maybe some experience that was so beautiful that it took your breath away. Like when it happened, when you saw it, when you, maybe when you saw her, maybe when you experienced something, you stopped breathing. Like you had to remind yourself to breathe. It was so beautiful. Whatever the situation or place or person, just bring that, bring that moment to your mind. Take just a minute. And experience that in your mind. Try to remind yourself like how that felt. Maybe like when you breathed again, maybe you cried. It was so beautiful. Or maybe you laughed. Or maybe you were so traumatized by the beauty that you couldn't move. Okay, now open your eyes. Do you have that? Do you have it in your mind? Do you have it? Everybody? Anyone care to shout out what the experience was? Remember, this is church now, so keep it within those parameters. But anybody mind to shout it out? Please. Birth of your grandchildren. Yeah. Anybody else? A sunset, that's beautiful, yeah. Seeing your bride walk down the aisle, dude, you just scored points for a long time. Every other guy in the room says, me too, me too. Anybody else? Okay. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take whatever experience that you had that was so beautiful and whatever it was that you felt and I want you to multiply that moment times infinity. What you felt, multiply it times infinity. See, I think what God is saying to Moses is that the human body, because it has been so affected by sin, it is so frail, that the human body could not withstand a full dose of His beauty without being completely overwhelmed by it, without being completely traumatized by it without being completely consumed by His beauty. So much so, that at the very least, our hearts would instantly stop beating. And at the most, we would be vaporized by His beauty. That's what I think God is saying to Moses. You can't see it in all of its fullness, face to face. You can't see my beauty. You can't see my glory face to face, or you will instantly die. So God says to Moses, you can't see my face and live. But, but, that's not where God leaves it. He says to Moses, here's what I will do. And he comes up with what appears to be a, a strange little ritual. He says, like, I'm going to put you on a rock, and on this rock, there's, there's a cleft in this rock that you can stand on and stand in, and I will cover you with my hand, and I will pass by, and he says, when I remove my hand, you will see just the back of of my glory. Now not only does this whole thing seem strange, but you might have noticed earlier that there was this interesting little switch that happened. When Moses asked to see God's glory in verse 18, God's answer in verse 19 was, "I will show you my goodness." Why? Why that switch? Well, because in God's mind, his goodness is his glory. His goodness is what makes him so beautiful. In fact, so beautiful that all Moses is allowed to see for Moses' well-being so that he can keep living is the back of God's goodness. Or a better way to think of it is that all that Moses got to see was the afterflow excuse me the afterglow of God's goodness. The afterglow of God's goodness And if you were to read ahead, you would find that Moses' face as he came down from the mountain just after seeing the afterglow of God's goodness was shining and the people were afraid of him. And I want you to notice something else that happens. God says in verse 19 of chapter 33, He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And then, I don't know if you noticed it, but in chapter 34, that's exactly what happened. The text says that he passed, God passed in front of Moses, and he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished, and he goes on. So not only does Moses see the afterflow of God's goodness, but God describes for Moses what it is that makes him so good. Now, there are a number of of ways that we could uh, approach this passage, but I want to look at it this morning through the grid of revival because that's what we have been talking about in this series. And I want to make three points to you. Here's the first one that I want to make, that the final stage of revival, remember the first stage is repentance. The second stage is prayer. And the final stage of revival is an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness. That's what it means to see God's glory. God's people in revival get an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness. Now, I'm not talking about just an intellectual knowledge that God is good. I'm talking about an overwhelming, supernatural revelation of God's goodness that becomes a very part of your being. Like you get such an overwhelming, supernatural revelation of God's goodness that it becomes part of you through and through. Some people who have experienced this have even said that they needed God to stop like it, like they, under, they they got this so clearly that they actually needed God to stop because if he didn 't stop he would they would explode. Now, I want you to think for just a moment how would that change you if you got if you got just an overwhelming revelation of god 's goodness, how would it change you? You would never need to worry again because you would know that whatever happens. Nothing can shake you from the conviction that God is good and only has good intentions for you. You could say, though you slay me, still I will worship, and you you would mean it with all of your heart. You would be satisfied with God just for who He is, not for what He does for you. He would captivate you in a way that you have never been captivated. You would be enraptured by His beauty. You would understand that all of your longings are fulfilled in Him. Just being in His presence would be enough for you. You could be caught up in that for hours. You would live with a profound sense of joy that at the very heart of the universe is a God who is so good that you can be at peace. Your cynicism, your discouragement, your fears would find no place to take root in your heart. That's what would happen if you got an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness. Would you like that? Would that revive you? Would you catch fire? Would that make you want to express His goodness to the people around you? Of course it would. And last week when I asked you to pray for revival for 40 days, that's what I'm asking you to pray for that you would have an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness and that God would give that same revelation not just to you but to City Church and to all of the churches in Evansville because that is when revival really happens. The final stage of revival is an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness within His churches that spills out beyond our walls and into the streets and creates a spiritual awakening in the city. That's the final stage of revival. Now, I can imagine that as you read this passage just a moment ago, some of you were saying to yourselves, wait a minute, there's a contradiction here in this passage. God says that He is good, and yet at the same time He says that He's not going to leave the guilty unpunished. Now, He can't have it both ways. He can't be all good And all loving and also punishing at the same time. That's a contradiction. Well, would you write this down? God's goodness includes His wrath against sin. God's goodness includes His wrath against sin. And I want to explain that to you with an illustration. Because I I know, I know that there are many of you that that struggle with this. How can God be good, and loving, and yet punishing at the same time? In the early morning hours of November tenth, two thousand and fifteen, around five thirty a.m., three Indianapolis men went on a crime spree. They broke into an apartment in which the occupant was sleeping, and they stole car keys, a laptop. And a wallet. Then they went to another house where they stole TVs and another laptop. They loaded them into the stolen car that came from the first apartment. But they weren't done. They finally arrived at the home of Davy and Amanda Blackburn. Davy and Amanda had moved to Indianapolis just a few years earlier to plant a church there. Davy was a pastor. Amanda was now 12 weeks pregnant with their second child and their first, their 15-month-old son, was inside. Davy had already left and gone to the gym. When the men broke in, one of the men hit Amanda with his gun and he stayed at the house while the other two drove off to retrieve money from an ATM using her card. Amanda charged at the man who stayed in the house And as she charged him, he shot her somewhere in her upper body. Then he leaned over her body, and he shot her again in the back of the head. And then he leaned further over her body and looked at her face, and he watched her bleed. Two days later, Amanda and her unborn child both died. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that those three men were to come before a judge for trial. And no sooner than the trial began, the judge winked at the men, and then he let them go free. Good judge? Is that a good judge? Of course it's not a good judge. That's a terrible judge. No good judge would do that. And this is the reason that God must punish sin. It's the reason that he can never let sin ever go unpunished. He can, never even, he can never leave even one offense unpunished. It's because he's too good. A judge that winks at crime is a bad judge. And God is so good, he can't ever let anything go unpunished. He will not wink at sin. And I want you to hear me say this. That if the church is to experience revival, we must repent of creating a God who is never wrathful. Many churches refuse to speak about God's wrath against sin. And some even wholly replace God with a God of their own making who never declares anything sinful and therefore never punishes sin. But when we do that, we are guilty of idolatry and polytheism. And we cannot see all of the glory of God when we do that. God's glory, God's beauty, God's goodness is seen not only in that He is all-loving and forgiving and gracious and compassionate and merciful, but His goodness is also seen in that He hates sin. And we as church leaders must repent of creating a God who is never wrathful against sin. The first stage of revival is repentance. The the second stage of revival is prayer. And the final stage of revival is an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness, which includes His wrath against sin. And finally, I want you to see this last thing from this passage. I want you to write this down. To see the full glory of God, you have to stand on the rock just like Moses did. To see the full glory of God, you have to stand on the rock, just like Moses did. And here's what I mean. you remember that part of the passage that we talked about earlier that seems so odd when God had Moses stand and hide in the cleft of a rock? Remember that part? Do you know how the New Testament refers to Jesus? One of the ways that the New Testament refers to Jesus? Refers to Jesus as the rock. Look it up on your own later. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want you to understand that Jesus Christ is the rock upon which Moses had to stand and the rock upon which we must stand if we want to see that God's goodness includes both His love and His wrath. On the cross suspended between heaven and earth, Jesus Christ died on the cross to satisfy the justice goodness of God. God couldn't wink at your sins. Someone had to die, and so Jesus chose to die on your behalf. But on the other hand, when God poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ, He was doing it because He loved you so much that He was willing to sacrifice His Son for you. And Jesus loved you so much that He was willing to sacrifice Himself for you. And so you see, without the cross of Jesus Christ, without standing on the rock, you can't see that. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ this morning, you might believe in a very loving God, in a God who is always loving, a God that you have created, but you don't believe in a God who punishes people. You've crafted your own God, and I want you to hear me on this. You have crafted a God for whom it cost nothing to love you. Love always costs something. but you've created a God whom it costs nothing to love you. What good is that? Only on the rock will you see how incredibly loving God was. Without the cross, without the wrath of God poured out on Jesus, You can't know the extent of God's love for you. How much it cost Him to love you. You can't know that. And so it doesn't electrify you. The idea of God's goodness and His love doesn't electrify you. It doesn't change you. To see the glory of God, all of the goodness of God, you have to stand on the rock that is Jesus Christ. And that's the ultimate goal of revival. Not only to stand on the rock of Jesus Christ, but to see others stand on the rock of Christ and to bring other people to the rock that is Jesus Christ. The churches of this city need revival, and the rest of this city needs a spiritual awakening. And I'm asking you to pray show us your glory that as people and as a church we would experience an overwhelming revelation. Of God's goodness that would change us that would change every church in this city and as a result would create a spiritual awakening in this city in which people would begin to recognize their need for a savior in the Lord Jesus Christ because the hope of Evansville is not in laws or governmental regulations it's not in education or an economic policy as good as those things can be the hope of Of Evansville is the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, the glory of God revealed. If you have never come to a place where you have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, perhaps you've heard of Him, perhaps you've sat in church uh, many, many times. Uh, Perhaps you know that God loves people. But you have never come to a place in your own life where you have said, yes, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to stand on you. Be my Savior. I believe that you are good. I believe that you love me. And a part of the way that you showed your love for me was that you died for my sins. You took my sins. You died the death that I should have died so that I could live the life that you should have lived. If you've never come to that place, may I just say that today in the privacy of your seat, you don't have to walk an aisle. In the privacy of your seat, you could tell God that. And in that very moment, everything changes for you. God changes you internally. He creates in you a whole new person. so that the love of Jesus Christ, the goodness of Jesus Christ, will begin to reveal itself from the inside out in your life. For those of you who already know the Lord Jesus Christ, you've believed on Him in the past, but you have found yourself, over the years, you've found this waning interest that you need revival. Can I challenge you again, for the next, what is it now, 33 days, that you would pray that God would show you His glory, and not just you, but all of us at City Church, and every church in the city of Evansville, would you pray that? Because the final stage of revival is an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness. That's when revival happens. Would you bow with me for prayer?? This is our individual and collective prayer, Lord. Show us your glory. Give us an overwhelming revelation of your goodness. And Lord Jesus Christ, we understand, we know that, that you are the visible, tangible, human. Representation of all of the goodness of God. You are both human and deity at the same time, and both of those things come together, and in that we see all of the goodness of God. And we thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would serve us, that you would submit yourself to the will of the Father to hang on a cross, to be suspended between heaven and earth, to allow justice and mercy to kiss in you. And in so doing, give us eternal life. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Show us your glory, God, in a way that revives us as a church and Lord, that revives every church in this city. And Lord, would you show your glory to the entire city of Evansville? And create here a spiritual awakening that begins to change this city in a way that no government, that no education, that no economic policies could ever change a city. And we ask these things now, in your Lord, in your name, Lord Jesus Christ.
0: Final stage of a revival is an overwhelming revelation of God's goodness. We're nearing the end of our Catching Fire series, all about revival, and we hope that a desire for revival and a commitment to that end has awoken in you. Thank you again for joining the City Church Evansville podcast. You can find more information about City at citychurchevv.com and. If you're in the area, join us for either our 9-15 or 11 a.m. service at 314 Market Street in downtown Evansville. Remember, the cross changes everything, showing us the full measure of God's wrath and the full measure of God's love.